Thank you for inviting me. I'm a white, male, heterosexual American, born in Bakersfield, California, to an upper-class family. So I want to share today um, how I have moved through the world with this identity. There's an author that I my students read, and he talks about that people with my characteristics have what he calls the luxury of obliviousness, to not have to think about those aspects of your identity because you just take it for granted that they don't matter because they're just who you are. So I have four quick stories to tell you. I'll take place between 1998 and 2003 in the country of South Africa. It means um, it wasn't the first time I started thinking about these issues, but I guess I'll admit it was the first time I really started thinking about it. So I was 29 when I first started thinking about this, and I'm still thinking about it. I haven't resolved it, and I, I still don't know where I'm going with it, but I wanted to share. South Africa is a country oddly similar to the United States. It's a country based on oppression, racial discrimination, slavery. Um, but in South Africa, the oppressors were a minority, whereas in the United States, the oppressors were the majority. So I moved to South Africa in 1998 to do research. I was living in a town called Durban, and I was there for about a two weeks, and I decided I wanted to go downtown on a Saturday to go shopping. <clears throat> the white South African friends I'd made at that time told me that I shouldn't go, that there was nothing I'd want to buy there, that I wouldn't like the experience, but I was adventurous and I wanted to go. So drove downtown to Durban, barely found a place to park, got out of my car, and the streets were packed, like you could barely move. Everyone was out shopping. And it took me all of 10 seconds to realize that I was the only white person walking around in the city. And um, I don't know. It felt odd. It, it felt odd. It felt, um, I felt scared. I guess I can admit now I felt scared. And I walked around for about an hour. And um, I, when I think about becoming individually aware of my identity, that is a moment that sticks in my head about that moment in the Durban streets and, and just walking, walking through the streets. So about three months later, I've been in South Africa getting to know things. Moved up to a rural area where I was going to do some research and um, had a um, research assistant who was helping me. His name was Peter Zulu. So we're doing a, an interview in a hut with a gentleman, with a, with a Zulu man. And all of a sudden, these bees start coming into the hut. And the man who we're interviewing doesn't move. Peter is just kind of slightly doing this. The bees aren't stinging us, but I'm freaking out. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm learning Zulu. I'm feeling more comfortable. But I, I sat for about 10 minutes and finally I nudged Peter. I said, can we go outside and um, do the interview out there? I'm not feeling comfortable. So we did. Peter didn't say anything. Finished the interview, got in the car, and Peter said, um, you know, Mike, in Zulu culture, when bees show up at someone's house, it means there's a very important visitor there. And the man you were talking to was really excited there were so many bees because you were the very important visitor. <laughs> And I thought, wow, you know, here I am. I've been here three months. I've become individually aware through my walking through Durban. And there are still these limits of me knowing how to, how to fit in. So another three months pass. I'm still with Peter. Um, I'm determined to get up and go do my four interviews that day. So I do my interviews where I'd get in my Toyota Cressida, or Cressida they call it there. It's like a Corolla. Drive on the dirt roads and go in and interview some people. 
started to rain, supposed to rain harder during the day. And I really wanted to do the interviews because the next day was pension day, which meant that was when the pension benefits would come out. And I knew that day no one would want to talk to me because they'd be buying things, they'd be drinking, and they'd be celebrating. It was once a month they get this big check. The older people get it. Peter said, Mike, we shouldn't go. Like, it's raining too hard. It's not going to work out. Peter, I know my car. I know these roads. I know this village. I've been driving in and out of here for three months. It's going to be fine. Peter said, all right, fine. You know, he's getting paid either way. He's fine with that. Sure enough, the first downhill we come to, a dirt road, I lose control of the car. We're not going fast. And we go off into a ditch, right? Peter, God bless him, doesn't laugh, doesn't make fun of me, just gets out of the car. About, it feels like a dozen Zulu people came out, started helping us. They started talking in Zulu. So they started laughing with each other about the Mulungu, the white person who knew, uh, thought they could drive their car through the rural roads on a rainy day. They turned my car around, pushed me up the hill, and uh, Peter said, um, so um, so do you want to uh, continue with the interviews today or you just want to go back? And of course, I said, no, we're just going to go back. And he said, yeah, that's what I thought you'd want to do. <laughs> the concept of cultural humil- humility, right, of... Um, of not just listening and being aware that you're in a different place, but then taking the advice you get and taking it seriously to respect that wisdom. And I had not learned about cultural humility yet. The final story takes place in 2003. And I'd returned to South Africa to do some follow-up interviews. And I was in the hut of a of Chief Biela, who had gotten the know when I was been there. He's a chief in the village. And my friend Vusi. These are both friends of mine. So we're talking. My Zulu's okay. I'm not fluent, but we're talking. And the chief says this long thing in Zulu, and I couldn't follow it. And Vusi says to me, um, now this is, uh, this is June 2003. He says, Chief Biela wants to know if he can expect American warplanes to be flying over his village and bombing him because um, his village is not democratic enough. So, of course, the Iraq war started in March 2003. I didn't know what to do. That was... I'm calling that my categorical awareness, like that um, I didn't know whether to defend it, which I didn't want to, or explain it, which seemed kind of petty. Um, even though I was their friend, I was um, I represented something more. I represented a person from this larger place with this power that that um, could be wielded against them. I guess if we if we decided. So those are just four different stories about how I've kind of tried to move through the world. Still struggling to do that every every year in South Africa. And this is not in South Africa. Um, I guess I want to end by saying it was just this morning. I was in a committee meeting and we were talking about um, <clears throat> the experience of black USD students on this campus and the feeling of not belonging and the feeling of not feeling included. And it struck me then that, um, you know, if, if that's a feeling of anything like I felt in Durban or in that hut or on that road or with the chief, um, I don't know if I can ever really walk in those shoes, but I, I'm a little closer to empathizing and then maybe I'm a little closer to uh, being a part of making those bridges between different cultures.